Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome once again to Madam Perry's Salon. I am your host, your Groove Mistress, Cruise Director, and Spiritual Advisor, Madam Perry. But you don't have to call me Madam. I'm not Pearl Mesta. You can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I'm just happy to be here and happy that you are, too. Also, I want to say uh, thanks to everyone who's been subscribing. We're now on uh, uh, Spotify and iHeartRadio, as well as several other podcast platforms and so if you listen if you want to hear the live show you do need to listen to blog talk radio but after this after the live show is done it's available on pretty much all podcast platforms so your your favorite one i'm there i'm pretty sure i'm there i'm on some i don't even know about who knows for all i know they're probably making money off of me but anyway i gotta say that um this has been just so much fun. You know, I've I've kind of added, not kind of, I have added extra shows because I figure if people are home or people have more time to fill, uh, add some extra entertainment. And we've had so many fun people. Uh, we've had uh, Michael Daybar, uh, who has a, a radio show on Little Stevens Underground, but his career has gone from everything from commercials as a kid. Um, he had a role in To Stir With Love. He's uh Currently, or when they start shooting again, he plays the character Murdoch on MacGyver. And uh, there was a new documentary out about him. I think it came out about two months ago, about before he was on the show here, called Who Do You Want Me to Be? And I thought that was just because he's an actor, but also it's because he co-wrote the song with sing- with the songwriter and actor Holly Knight, the song from Animotion that's the Who Do You Want Me to Be? So, yeah, he wrote that, and it's a great documentary. It's on Amazon. You can check that out. Also, we had Arden Marine from the TV show, the Netflix show, Insatiable, and she was here to talk about her new book, her memoir, Little Miss Little Compton, because she's from Little Compton, Rhode Island. And if you see Insatiable, she plays the character Regina Sinclair, crazy Regina Sinclair, and she is just absolutely charming. So get her book. Remember, she also made special handbags, I mean, uh, tote bags to go with the book for uh, people who order it. So, yeah, that was great. And who was Jen Lancaster of uh, her latest book, Welcome to the United States of Anxiety. Uh, Jen Lancaster, I've been a fan of her since her first book, Bitter is the New Black. So thrilled to have her on. I've got a lot more fun people coming up soon. If you follow the Madame Perry Salon page on Facebook, you'll always know ahead of time who's going to be on. And also try to keep up on Instagram as well. Also, recently we had a guest who said he had a new CD coming out, and he does. And I think tonight's guest probably knows him too. Don Most, or you might have remembered him as Donnie Most from Happy Days, uh, was on here a couple of months ago and talking about some um, 
internet TV shows he was doing, plus a film with his uh, former co-star, Anson Williams. So, uh, thrilled to be able to share all this. And let me tell you, this is going to be a fun night. I've had people messaging me and and, uh, saying they are so looking forward to this. Well, I am too. So let me go ahead and say it's going to have to make this introduction short because I, I could talk about the cred of tonight's guest and take up a show. He's a TV host, writer, producer, performer, entertainment executive. He's worked on several TV shows. Uh, he's a songwriter, singer. I'm going to, I mean, he's got major Hollywood cred. But he's got uh, a new book. He's written several. A new book called uh, Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore Story. So let's just go ahead and bring him right here in the genie bottle. I want to make him comfortable on a nice cushy pillow and welcome Herbie J. Pilato. Welcome, Herbie. Thank you so much, Jen. How are you this evening? I am feeling great. This is going to be a great night, and I am so psyched for this night. I'm excited too. I mean, your energy is just so so uh, welcoming, and it's just you can't do anything but love it. So uh, blessings to you, Thanksgiving blessings to you. Oh, thank you so very much, Herbie. So um, I, I didn't mean to to be rude and not give the full all the full cred of your of your career, which is uh, not only has it been uh, it's full, it's fascinating, it's multifaceted. But it's still going on. So uh, <laughs> you also have an, uh, a, a show, then again, with Herbie J. Pilato. Will you tell us about that, please? Yeah, that's uh, it's on Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime UK. It's, we did a first season. It's a classic TV talk show that harkens back to the way, you know, the Merv Griffin show was done and the Mike Douglas show. We focus on fun topics and first season we did interviews with one uh, including Ed Asner we talked about Mary Tyler Moore and we did a, a tribute to Dark Shadows a tribute to Gary Marshall with Cindy Williams and Marion Ross we did an episode on Batman with Burt Ward we did an episode on uh, Robert Conrad and the Wild Wild West that was that was wild that was wild <laughs> indeed um, so it's just it's just terrific. I'm so very proud of it. It came from my live events, which really began from book signings that I did at Barnes and Noble throughout LA. Wow! And you know, you were talking about. Um, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! I just slipped my brain. Uh, Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, every year, you know, because the Wild Wild West was Western, but it had a, a sort of an element of uh, science fiction in it, right? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I have started going, this thing has been going on for at least 10 years, but uh, a few years ago, someone uh, who was a fan of the show got me interested in this thing. They kept asking me every year, and I wouldn't go, and they finally asked me would I come and do a presentation. It's an event, you know, a convention called the Wild Wild West Con. It takes place in Tucson, Arizona, in a place called Old Town Tucson, which you probably know of. It's, um, it's a little western village that a lot of television shows and movies like Rio Bravo have seen filmed right. there, but now it's the... Um, Place. You know, people, families go. But one weekend a year in March is taken over by steampunk 
people. Uh, Are you familiar with steampunk? I'm familiar with the term. (laughs) 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 Well, think about think about it like this. Think about uh, Wild Wild West because it's like it's a lot of it takes place at the same time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Jules Byrne, um, the future that never was. Yes, yeah, so right, we're in kind right. of sci-fi clothes and super and um and western wear. And I told my husband, well, because it's a little western village where actual TV shows and movies were filmed, we don't look so out of place. And my husband just kept reading and nodding and said, "Uh huh." Well, you just you just keep on telling yourself that. <laughs> so you're the wild one in, in of the two, right? No, well, I, I don't know. You know, I think I think of him as the more outgoing because he's a musician and he's traveled the world with his job. But when I discovered this and they started inviting me, I just became yeah enamored with it. It was like the world I didn't know I was looking for. But anyway, yeah. I'm interested just because of you know, um, you know so much about show business. And the next book I've got to get is called. Uh, I'm spun my mic around. Uh, NBC and me. My life is a page in a book. Oh yeah. Well, let me tell you that that job at NBC, which I started when I was like 24 years old, was the best job job that I ever had um, in my life. It was just wonderful. I had worked at the Marriott Airport back in Rochester as a bellman in my you know quote regular life. But that job really prepared me public relations-wise for the NBC job, which prepared me for every other Hollywood-type job or a job in publishing that I had. It was, just, it was just terrific. I was young, you know, and every major star that went on The Tonight Show or that was big in the 80s, in the big 80s, I, I saw or, you know, had some kind of communication with. It was just terrific. It was just a terrific job. And so I had, I've been telling stories about it, you know, forever. And then so, you know, I said, you know, I should just write a book about it because people have been telling me that I should write a book about it, so I did. All right. Well, yeah, it, it goes, I mean, you know, you can hear people say showbiz is my life, but showbiz is your life. I mean, this is where you were meant to be. You knew it when you were young and I'm, I'm going to say yes to that because I was that kid in the neighborhood. I mean, I grew up in the inner city of Rochester. Parents didn't have a lot of money or anything like that. But I was that kid who said, let's put on a show. You know? <laughs> and, you know, we, we lived, our house was across the street from like this um, municipal warehouse deal that had a, um, a dock where they would drive the trucks up to and they'd put the, and deliver whatever it is that they had in this, in this warehouse. And the dock was kind of like a stage. So <laughs> we would set chairs around the stage at the end of the day, you know, after the workers were gone, and we would put shows on for the neighborhood. Just like those Andy Hardy movies with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know when you said, let's put on a show, I thought, now I know your dad didn't have a barn, okay? But then, yeah. <laughs> no, you but, went much better. Right. But actually, I did do the barn thing because I had cousins who were in Waterport, New York, and, and in Honeyoy, New York, that were suburbs of Rochester. And in Waterport, they had a barn, and we'd put shows on. So, so there you go. 
<laughs> That's great. Well, let me ask you this. You're, um, you've written so many books about people and show business. Um, you also, I know, you've acted, uh, you've sung, I've listened to your music on SoundCloud, and I don't know where to talk about you, uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. She became a, uh, you've written about her, you know, but she became a good friend to you, didn't she? Well, we, we had a very, we had very special four two hour interviews uh, where she sat down with me and she opened up to me about her life and career and specifically certainly about Bewitched. And she just was, wasn't doing that. She wasn't talking about Bewitched at the time. She would do TV movies and stuff. And she would do interviews for those. But she pretty much wanted to leave Bewitched behind. But I had written a reunion movie for Bewitched. And I got it to William Asher, her husband on the show, who she later divorced. And he was going to do a new Bewitched series. When that fell through, um, I said, well, how about we do a book about the original show? So I said, do you think Elizabeth would be interested in that? And so he said, yeah. So he talked to her for me. And when we finally met, after me calling her for six months, I actually had Elizabeth Montgomery's <laughs> phone number. Um, we, we finally, t- she finally called me back because she was so shy and private. Um, and we met, and the first thing she asked me was, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, you know, why are you doing this book? About mm-hmm. At the time, it was about this bewitched. And I says, well, you know, I, I thought the show really spoke to true love that two people who were so different loved each other despite those, those differences. And, and Darren loved Samantha for who she was and, and Samantha loved Darren for who he was. She, he didn't, she didn't need him to buy her anything because whatever he could buy her, she could switch up something. So I went on and on and on and, and she said, okay, she goes, and she looked at me and she says, all right, because Bill Asher told me that, (laughs) I really need to speak with Herbie. And he never tells me I need to speak with anybody. So um, he's, she was, he was impressed with me, and she was impressed with the fact that he recommended me, and, and there you go. Um, yeah, one of, those, one of those things that was just meant to be. And by the way, talking about, was. Uh, about leaving uh, Bewitched behind, I loved her Lizzie Borden. Yeah, well. I have still been really unable to watch that all the way through along with a case of rape. They were just so different than Samantha, and it was hard for me to watch those, but she knocked it out of the park each time with those movies because she wanted to do something that was so very different than Bewitched, and she just loved shocking people, especially with Lizzie Borden. (laughs) Very good. Well, let's get to your newest book, your latest book, Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story. And yeah. it is a magnificent work. Um, oh, thank you. How thank long you, did Jennifer. it take you to write that? Well, it was about, it was in the, the works for like eight years, but really to sit down and write it, it only took about 18 months, but I've been planning it for a long time. And you know, when you, I got into the groove of how to do it, you know, after so many books. And I wanted to continue the theme of the classic TV female uh, 60s icon that I started with Elizabeth. And, I, in, and in writing the book, I realized there were many similarities between them. 
Both had demanding fathers. Both had families who did not want them really to get into the industry. Uh, both were, were felt typecast by characters that they played um, in the 60s and, and in the 70s to some extent. And both went on to do very different TV movies from those shows. Now, let's talk about um, Mary Tyler Moore. You know, she always seemed, so. you know, so many women. I was so surprised when she passed away how, and I shouldn't have been, just this outpouring of love from people who, and, and yeah. their stories and testimonies really of how affected they were and how inspired they had been by her. In fact, there was a, I can't even remember when she passed away in 2017. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the TV show, but I remember uh, Joan Jett and her band sang and did the song. Yeah, yeah. What matches. happened was they did a Marion and Valerie Harper did a, a TV movie reunion, which to me is forgive me is one of the worst TV movies ever made. Um, where they got together as Mary and Rhoda again. And so Joan Jett did a reboot of the Mary Tyler Moore show theme, and she did it for that film. And, I, and the reason I say the film is, is not one of my favorite is because it was so different than the Mary Tyler Moore show on which it was based. It was filmed like a movie instead of, you know, taped in, or filmed in front of a live audience that, you know, you can have – that, that we knew Mary from, Mary Richards from. It was just, it was just, and, and God bless Mary. By that time, too, she had had so much plastic surgery. She just didn't look the same, and it was hard to watch that. And she was so beautiful, naturally beautiful. You know, she didn't really need all that surgery. And believe me, I'm all for looking as good as you can look, okay? A nip and a tuck here, whatever, all right? But to do it extensively as she did, it just, it wasn't necessary. Did do you think that she just she didn't know, she how do I say this that she didn't know how beautiful she was to people that she saw more imperfections than we did or well I mean it, it, there's so she was so complicated and and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to write about her because she had such an amazing life she was a good person who did a lot of for charity work and certainly animal advocacy, but she didn't really love herself as much as she should have. And, you know, actors and actresses and writers and, and any artistic people, it's, it's not, they're not really regular people. And I don't say that, you know, as an arrogant way or, or whatnot. It's just, that's just the way it is. It's not a regular life. So whatever issues that any, any of them have are exacerbated and magnified because they're in the public eye. So, you know, she had that going on. You know, just being an, an actress is not an easy thing because your your life is on display constantly. But she was abused as a kid. She was sexually abused as a kid by a neighbor. Uh, she had an alcoholic mother. She herself was alcoholic. Um, she... Um, you know, the, her father, she had a, a love-hate relationship with her father. So there was a lot going on inside of her that she was damaged in that way. And you combine that with Hollywood and the public eye, and it's just a lot of pressure. 
Now, many artists feel that they have to go through pain, um, you know, to create great art. I don't think that's the case every time. Mm -hmm. Certainly, tragedy does create pain or does create beauty at some point. But, but she just, you know, she just, she just had a lot of struggles that she kept from the world. But she always kept that smile because she did not want to bring people down. And she wanted to keep it separate. You know, today in the, in the Facebook social media world, everybody knows everybody's issues, you know, celebrities or, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Then it was very guarded, uh, you know, during her original reign. You know, stars were stars, and, and the, the, the gossip columnists took care of, you know, uh, their personal issues or celebrity issues. But celebrities weren't as forthcoming as they are today. Mm. So, yeah, because uh, it, reading your book about how uh, in Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story, um, when she was working on the Dick Van Dyke show, that at one point, you know, she was having trouble. She was smoking three packs a day and yeah. drinking, trying to keep things going. But but I guess always showing up and always doing her job. Yes, yes. And and Dick Van Dyke, too. I mean, that's, that's what his yeah. his deal was. And he admitted it, and they both admitted it later that they were, uh, you know, both dealing with alcohol. So it's just really professional all the time. Nobody knew the deal, certainly on the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, She was diagnosed with diabetes um, the first season of the Mary Tyler Moore show and combined with alcoholism, and then combined with the extensive plastic surgeries that she had later, I really believe in my heart, Jennifer, uh, that she just would have cooled it with that plastic surgery. She'd, she would have been alive today. Because, you know, look, at surgery traumatizes the body, any kind of surgery, right? To have elective surgery over time when you really didn't need it, it just, it's just too much, it was too much for the body. Now, that's my opinion. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV, but that <laughs> is my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. This is so much that, that, that a body physically can take. And then yes. I add on top of that certain insecurities and pressures um, yes. on top yes. of that. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it is yes. too much. Um, let us start with, uh, at the beginning, she, she wanted to be a dancer. Even as a young girl, she wanted to be a dancer. That was the main thing she wanted to do. She, uh, she knew that she knew she wanted to do. Yes, dance was her first love. And, you know, she wanted to be a, a movie musical star like they did in, in back in the day with MGM and whatnot, because those are the movies that she grew up with. But by the time she became an, an actress, they weren't making those kinds of movies anymore. But if you if you look at the Dick Van Dyke show and so many wonderful episodes of that show, she and, and Dick Van Dyke did so many musical numbers together as Rob and Laura that she ultimately still did do uh, many musicals anyway on TV. You know, she did Thoroughly Modern Millie, but that was really Julie Andrews' movie and not mm-hmm. not her, a starring vehicle for her. So, yeah, she but- always loved dance and she always loved uh, musicals. Yeah, because yeah, Thoroughly Modern Millie, was that, um, yeah, Julie Andrews, and was it Michelle Lee? Uh, Carol Channing. Yeah, Carol Michelle Chan- Lee, yes, and, yes, yeah. and Michelle Lee, yes. 
And Carol Channing was at that as well. And that was after the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, And when... Go ahead, honey. Go ahead. No, go on. You know, you talk about she. She did, yeah. That, those kind of movies were gone, but uh, but yeah, she did get to do the things like I love their. I always loved to watch when I saw Dick Van Dyke show their home parties, where they used to get up and do a little song or dance oh. or something. And I just oh, I just idolized her. And uh, that you know, Mountain Greenery, that sing that and oh, dance or gosh. whatever. Magic. And, it was magic. You yeah. watched them together. It, the chemistry was amazing. They both had so much talent oozing out of them. I mean, I say this all the time. Dick Van Dyke, or Mary, actually, but Dick Van Dyke never had to do another thing in his life after he finished the Dick Van Dyke show. He, it was perfection. Perfection. Mm-hmm. Every, like, he, he did diagnosis, murder, and it, certainly he did Mary Poppins, of course, and whatnot. But you look at that time capsule of those five beautiful years on that series, which is just one of the best, if not the best TV sitcom of its era or of all time. And they just, he just never had to do anything ever again. You know, the, the rest was extra. Tell, tell the story, uh, if you would, for the listeners about how she got the part of Laura Petrie. Yeah, she was, um, she had auditioned for the Danny Thomas show before that. And the producers who produced Danny Thomas also did Dick Van Dyke. So she wanted, she auditioned for to play Danny Thomas's daughter, but her nose was too small. (laughs) And Danny never felt that she would have, anyone would have believed her as his daughter. So when they did the Dick Van Dyke show, um, she auditioned for Carl Reiner or Sheldon Leonard had remembered, um, who was the producer on Danny Thomas, and he now is a producer on Dick Van Dyke. And he had remembered her from uh, auditioning on Danny Thomas. He brought her into Carol Reiner. She read for Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner knew immediately that this was Laura Petrie, took her by the head and walked her down the hall and said, Sheldon, yes, this is Laura. And that's how she got the part. Now, Dick Van Dyke thought that she might have been too young to play his wife. She was like 10 years younger, but it, it worked. Yes, it did. Uh, <laughs> he said he took her by the head. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and walked her down the hall. <laughs> what was, uh, and, and they did, they worked so well together. And I know he, I can see where he would think she would be too young, but um, they worked so well together. It just, you know, they were our TV version of Jackie and JFK. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they had that sophisticated look. And they were the first TV couple to really, really show any kind of affection. Certainly, Ricky and Lucy did that on, on I Love Lucy, but not as with the sophisticated manner that Rob and Laura did on the Dick Van Dyke show. You know, it was just, you could tell, I mean, these people were kissing each other. They were hugging each other. There was really some true emotion and affection being displayed on that series. You didn't yeah, see and Beaver I, doing that, in other words. I know, this afternoon, um, I was watching an episode of it, and even the playful teasing they did, you know, yeah. like when, um, I think... Uh, who was it? An old army friend of Rob shows up at the office, and he can't remember him. And he's 
bring him home for dinner. And she said, well, sure, I'd love to have him. What about me? She goes, well, you're okay, but I hate to waste the food, so come on, you know. So it's just that kind of little love teasing that they did on there. Yes, it was, it was very sexy, and it was sexy and funny and 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 all of those things. And the great thing about the Dick Van Dyke show, too, is the comedy was re- remained timeless. They tried not to put too many pop culture references in of the day so that, you know, years later when we'd all be watching it, 50 years, 60 years later, that there would no, you know, we would, it would still be funny. It would still be timely beyond the fact that it was um, done in the 60s. The only thing that was dated was the clothes and the, and the sets. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about clothes. This was a departure. Back then, it, every woman that was in a, a sitcom like Ozzy and Harriet or uh, Donna Reed, they always, you know, vacuuming in the, in the nice dress, billowing skirt, pearls, heels. Yes. And, and Mar- yes, not Laura Petrie. Mary, Mary saw those other TV wives, and she's like, no, that's not, that's not how I dress, you know. Uh, that's not how Laura should dress. So she came on with the slacks and, and you know, people just, <laughs> she was just dynamite. And she had shown those legs, God bless her, on Richard Diamond Private Eye, where she played oh, yeah. the unseen secretary to David Jansen. You only saw her legs. Now on the Dick Van Dyke show, you got to see her whole body. So that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a clever Clever thing on the on the uh, yeah Richard Diamond just the legs the voice yeah you were yeah they, yeah yeah and it made it popular too it made the you know everybody had the flat shoes and the little capri pants or uh, the slim pants and all yeah she she freed them up from feeling women from feeling like they had if they weren't uh, cleaning house in a dress and pearls that you know that's right she was really you know, again, along with Elizabeth, and even before the Mary Tyler Moore show, she was an independent wife, you know. Uh, she was an independent woman. She was a home engineer, and which I think to this day is still one of the most um, important jobs, whether it's the guy or the wife or whoever. I don't care. You know, when you take care of a house, God, like, God bless my mom and dad, and God bless my mom, she stayed home and she took care of me, and I turned out okay. So I I just think that it's, it was a wonderful thing that she stayed home with Richie. And to me, it was female empowerment in a different way. Indeed. Uh, there was, on the Mary Tyler Moore show, I was surprised to learn that there was one particular cast member, and this is someone who I just have always adored, but didn't get along with Mary. In fact, seemed to resent her. Well, it, it's not as though they didn't get along. We're talking about Valerie Harper? Oh, no, I'm talking about uh, Rosemarie. Oh, oh, so, oh, Dick Van Dyke. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Dick, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Rosemarie originally, you know, wasn't that crazy about um, Mary Tyler Moore taking over the female lead in the series because when originally – wrote the character of Sally Rogers was going to be the central female role because the series was supposed to be based more in at Rob's office. But when Mary Tyler Moore came into the picture 
And people were like, hey, you know, check Rob's wife out. How adorable is she? And they <laughs> and they would get all this fan mail for Mary. You know, they started gearing the show more towards a half and half. Rob at home, Rob at work. Into this picture, too, came Grant Tinker, who was um, an ad executive on the Dick Van Dyke show, who fell in love with Mary, who was already married when they met. She divorced her first husband after the first season of the Dick Van Dyke show. She and Grant then got married, and Grant is the one that pushed her also towards the center of the series. He was responsible for making that show uh, partially Rob about Rob and Laura and not just about Rob. And then it was really Mary who wanted to end the show and not so much Dick Van Dyke wanting to end the show and not so much Kyle Reiner wanting to end the show. I think they would have gone on. But Mary, with Grant pushing her, wanted to be a movie star. Unfortunately, when they left or when she left that show and she did go into the movies, Grant knew an awful lot about TV, but he didn't know that much about film. And he made some bad choices for her. And the last movie she did after Dick Van Dyke and before Mary Tyler Moore was Change a Habit, you know, where she played a nun opposite Elvis's surgeon. You know, I mean, yeah. it just wasn't, just didn't happen. And, and, and at that point, she, you know, Dick Van Dyke, was doing a special called Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman, and that other woman was Mary Tyler Moore, and essentially it was Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore reuniting on TV where they belonged. And the ratings went through the roof. CBS loved her on it, and they said, we got to give this girl her own show, and that's how the Mary Tyler Moore show happened. Okay, so let's talk about the Mary Tyler Moore show and the cast. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend... Um my high school best friend, Kay, we loved the show. We loved how the, every time they came on, the characters, um, the one played by uh, Valerie Harper, Rhoda, and uh, Cloris Leachman's character. We, yeah, Betty I mean, White, Lou yeah, Grant, right. all of them. But we studied their clothes. My my friend Kay and I was like, what what did they wear? Everything, the the blouse, the skirt, the skirt length, the shoes, the colors, uh, the jewelry. And I remember once we were even describing, we had gone somewhere to shop, and we'd say, well, it's sort of like the one that you know Rhoda had on, you know, and we would describe everything. Uh, we were just in, in love with the characters. So how did they pull? How did that cast get pulled together, Herbie? Well, you know, Mary was a producer of MTM. She was a partner in MTM, and she had always said that she didn't really have a lot of say in, in the casting or the creative direction of that show or any of the other shows that MTM Enterprises uh, produced, like the Rota or the Phyllis spinoff or Lou Grant or White Shadow and a million others, Hill Street Blues. But she really did. She had a say, uh, a creative say in, in the direction of that show. She and Grant were partners, and they just auditioned, um, you know, a top-notch a bunch of actors who were A-list, really, supporting actors, and the great thing about it is that even though it was the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mary surrounded herself and was confident enough 
to surround herself with that caliber of performing. But there was, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, the CBS casting director, whose name escapes me at this moment, who really knew her job. And she would, you know, go to local theater productions in L.A. all the time to, to scope out not just for the Maritella Moore show, but every show that was happening on CBS in those in, in that in the 60s and the 70s. So many of these those actors either had this incredible list of 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 creds of guest starring roles that they had already done. I mean, Ed Asner's, you know, did hundreds of guest spot roles and Cloris Leachman, you know, had done things like from the Twilight Zone on. Betty mm-hmm. White, of course, was a pro from day 1 in the 50s. And, and Ted Knight, too, had done so many different guest starring roles. So they were, like, all primed and ready. And, you know, today oh. you, do a, you do a video on YouTube, you're a star, you know. <laughs> there's, no, there's no theatrical experience behind it. Then these people came from the New York theater. They came from lobs of, of TV guest star roles. Yeah, and, and what a stellar cast. And, you know, I mean, you, you just think of it, and, and the scenes come to mind. You start just laughing like I'm doing now. Um, I'm going to take just a moment to um, uh, just play a little something, and it's got nothing to do with Mary, but it gives me a chance to get another glass of water, and, and, and you too if you need one. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Mary the Mary Tyler Moore story, the latest book from the amazing Herbie J. Pilato. And by the way, if you want to call in and ask Herbie a question or talk about this, uh, the number is 646-716-9922. It is a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Log Talk Radio assures me. So 646-716-9922. And if you're like some people uh, who... You got a question, you listen, but you it's place maybe a job where you can't make a phone call. You can always send it to me via a message on Facebook, either through Madam Perry's salon or through uh, Jennifer Maudette Perry, either one. So I'll be right back in about one minute with Herbie J. Pilato. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic. I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I made this podcast, right? When you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. Right? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the duck, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Well, you usually will hear dogs barking in the background here. They become like little, Herbie, they become like little um, little mafia extortionists, like, oh, nice podcast, <laughs> great guest. It'd be a shame <laughs> if nobody could hear it. So yeah, you gotta pay up with the milk bones. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's get to some other more serious things. Um the movie Ordinary People. Director yeah. was Robert Redford. And why did mm-hmm. he choose to cast Mary Tyler Moore 
And it was an Oscar nominated performance too. So Oscar nominated Globe uh Globe winning. Golden Globe winning. Um Mary and Robert Redford were neighbors in Malibu. And growing up she had always had a crush on him and you know but then they became neighbors and he would see her laying in the sun all the time on the beach and wonder if she had a dark side I wonder if she's got a dark side I bet she has a dark side well he auditioned her and she showed him her dark side in that role that character um, of Beth uh, Her name was Beth. She lost her son to suicide and became very bitter. And it was an amazing 360-degree performance from Laura Petra or Mary Richards, and she blew everybody away. Um, Now, many people have thought that, you know, that was really how Mary was. And, And she was not Mary Richards. And she would even say that to fans. She would say, you know, fans would approach her. They'd go, geez, I love Mary Richards. I I wish I was as, you know, chipper and nice as she was. And Mary would say, yes, so do I. So she (laughs) was, a like I said, she was a very complex person. And I want to make something clear. When I wrote this book, just like when I wrote the Twitch Upon a Star Elizabeth Montgomery book, um, I wanted to write the truth. But I am not one for writing or being salacious. I don't believe in those kinds of celebrity biographies. I don't believe in those kinds of books. But as a journalist, I had to, you know, write about the truth. But I wanted to write about it in a respectful way. And anyone who who reads Twitch Upon a Star or Mary the Mary Tyler Moore Show will know that there is heart in those books. There that that Mary was, yes, a complicated person, but she wasn't a bad person. You know, just like the rest of us, she had issues. You know, nobody is perfect. Are you perfect? Am I perfect? I know I'm not. You know, I know I've got issues. But when you talk about, when you do a book like this, to, to, to go for the jugular or for just to make it controversial, just to make it controversial, I think is evil. I think that's evil. There's no other word for it. But to write a balanced book about a beautiful human being who had issues and to handle those issues gingerly, that's the way to do it. And that's how I think I did it with Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story. Yes, and that was one of the reasons, that was one of the things that make it such a I could say just a, a very satisfying, very enjoyable read because even though it, you, it's not going for it's not nothing uh, uh, crude, salacious, uh, you know, going for the throat. It's uh, yeah, she's she's human like everybody else, and she's had challenges and setbacks like everybody else, you know. And I think that gives people more inspiration. They go, well, yes, she's had some things that I've had. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exa- that that is exactly it, Jennifer. That because I want to inspire with my work, like any writer, I would think they want to inspire. So I wanted to address these issues in a way 
that would help others, help those with diabetes, help those with alcoholism, help those who have uh, issues at work or they, who don't always get along with family members or friends to address those issues honestly and realize that you can grow from it and you can overcome it. That's the way to do any kind of book. There has to be some kind of inspiration in it, whether it's nonfiction or novel. So that's what I tried to do, too. So thank you for, for pointing that out. Well, it's, it's, see, it's not a fantasy. You know, so you're not putting out a fantasy, but you're, you're not tearing anyone down. But you're saying, this is the person you love. Here's some more things about them that you didn't know, like they're um, philanthropists and that they, you know, help other people and, and have causes. But they also have some of the same problems you do. So you're not so yeah. alone. You know, they're not. In right. And people love that. People people love to embrace somebody and say, yeah, they're 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 flawed like me, but I love them. And, and I think they're doing a great job. Right. So. Exactly. And if they if they can make it, that means I can, too. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. See, now. Um, did she have a lot of close? I mean, I know she, we know. Uh, a lot of close female friends. Not really. You know, she, I mean, Valerie, she was very close with Valerie Harper, who she didn't always get along with, but she was very close with Valerie Harper. And she had um, a few actress friends. Um, she called up Hope Lang one day, uh, and Hope Lang starred as Dick Van Dyke's wife on the new Dick Van Dyke show which aired on CBS, like from, I think, 70, 71 to 74. And mm-hmm. she said, Hope, you know, we both played Dick's wife on TV, so I think we should be friends. So that's, she had someone to identify with. But, but other than that, she really didn't have a lot of close female friends for whatever that reason was, whether it was ego or what, I don't know. But um, she felt more comfortable with, with male friends. And, and that's, you know, and I've known women like that. I've known guys who, you know, feel more, obviously feel more comfortable with having guy friends and who don't have a lot of girlfriends too. So it's, it's look at, we're all, again, we're all different. We all have our different reasons for, for, for befriending who we do. But with, with regard to Mary, you know, who knows? Herbie, do you, do you find with all the people, I mean, as long as you've been in show business and as many people as you have known, worked with, interviewed, talked to, had lunch with, dinner, whatever, do you find that sometimes maybe they're not sure if somebody's going to be friendly with them, what are their motives? They don't know if they're being sincerely friendly or they just want to kind of move up the ladder with them. Is, is there a... Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, you know, uh, you know, going back to Elizabeth, or I don't know, the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, I always try to talk to them like I'm talking to you or like I talk to, you know, the, uh, the, the guy who picks up the trash. I treat everybody equally. Mm-hmm. I talk to them like human beings. I talk to them. And, and to everybody, like, I want to be talked to. I don't want to be talked uh, down to. I don't want to hang out with anybody who's arrogant or who thinks they're better than me. You know, I mean, I was raised by beautiful, beautiful parents 
who taught me to love and to respect everybody equally. So mm-hmm. even though I was in awe of Elizabeth, and unfortunately I never got to know Mary, um, but out of all the, the other people, I was, I've always admired um, classic TV stars or stars from the 60s and 70s. And I was very, very, I made an effort to make sure that I was not going to do things like ask Elizabeth for her autograph or if she would twitch her nose or if I could have a picture with her. We do those things today because social media allows it and it's, it's considered cool. But I never did that with Elizabeth. I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I wanted to be a regular person who I could talk with her about anything. And that's why she respected me, because I talked to her like a person. Um, and that's why all of the celebrities that I've known or, or the people that I've interviewed, I talk to them like people. You know why? Because they are people. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, you gave them uh, respect, but you gave them a comfort zone, a comfort level. Yes. I mean, obviously, I admired the work, but I didn't go gaga. I was prepared. You know, I knew their work. I, re- I studied their work. I just didn't think they were great stars. I respected them for their art, their craft, and I knew their art and their craft. I was versed in it, so I knew what I was talking about when I would go talk with them. Um, so they, yeah, so that was just like a mutual respect thing. Um. I want to talk more about Mary's life. Now, she was married three times. She had a very young marriage. I think she was 17. That's where she had her first son. Um, yeah. Married to Dick Meeker. Yes. And it's when she had her son named Richie, like her TV son. When Grant happened. Teaker. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that was, that was all simultaneous. It, it just so happened. It was like a coincidence that both Richie and Richie were the same name of her TV son and her real son. Okay. And <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, so Grant Taker, and those both ended in divorce. But her last husband, um, the Doctor Levine. Doctor Robert Levine. Yeah. And I think and you, you know. He, he, go ahead, hon. So, so go ahead. I re- I watched he, an he, interview. I'm sorry. I watched an interview. I'm sorry about that. I watched an interview with her. Um, it was back in the '80s, but I was watching it on YouTube uh, last week, and the interviewer was asking about it. Says, "Well, you know, it's an age difference." You know, she goes, "Well, yeah, 15. It's not like it's a 21 or 22 year age difference." Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but she seemed well, very comfortable. Usually, if there is an age difference, usually not now, but usually. It's the man is older than the woman. My father was 10 years older than my mother. You know, I have a friend of mine is he's 15 years older than his wife. Usually it's the man. Well, she was really one of the first cougars, right? <laughs> Who were the, where the woman was older, you know, but she loved him and he loved her. You know, they stayed, that was her longest marriage and he was dedicated to her. And he was there for her in the end when she became so ill. He, he loved her dearly. Mm. 
when uh yeah and, it, and it's so you know when you're a fan and when you, you you follow somebody you know i remember one of the first things i learned about her was that she had diabetes and i remember her um the work she did for the juvenile diabetes um associations and when you think somebody goes through somebody and you you're just so happy to see them so in love with somebody that cares about them so much um yeah and he about? wasn't okay no, 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 honey, honey, this is you. This you, you're the. Oh, no, I was going to say that you know, Doctor Levine obviously was not in the industry, so that offered a nice balance for her. Grant Tinker and she were business partners as well as uh, romantic partners, and and sometimes, and more times than not, actually, in Hollywood, you know, a marriage is a business relationship, and when. The series is over. So is the marriage. That happened with Elizabeth and William Asher. It happened with Mary and Grant Tinker. It happened with Sonny and Cher to some extent. It happened with Carol Burnett to some extent and Joe Hamilton. When those shows ended, the marriages ended. Their producer husbands, you know, left when the show canceled. Or she, they left them when the show canceled. So, you know, it's, it's an odd thing. So Robert Levine you know, wasn't Hollywood. And Mary's first husband wasn't Hollywood either, but she was just too young. She was 17. Had she met him later, Richard Meeker, who was a sweetheart of a guy, their marriage might have lasted just like Robert Levine. And, and you know, that was still a time when, and I'm not saying this is why she did it, you know, I'm sure she loved him, but sometimes that was the only way for a woman to get a girl, woman, to get out on her own, you know, away from her parents to be married. And not saying that she used him, you know, that was just the way it was. It's true. It's absolutely true. Um, And, and, you know, and then there were, I mean, there were women who wanted certainly to have independence and, and whatnot, which of course is fine. And, and then there were women, again, I have to reference like my mom, she was okay. You know, we're staying home. It was, it was, there were, she didn't know anything else. Um, Mary was driven. Okay. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a star. She wanted that. Elizabeth Montgomery was driven. Her first marriage failed. Some sweet guy, Fred Kamen. Uh, you know, he was a high roller, wealthy, uppity guy from New York. And, you know, he wanted a wife, but Elizabeth wanted to be a star. So it was really kind of a similar thing. Mary married Richard Meeker to, yeah, get out of the house. And then she became a star. And he, want, he still wanted a wife. And that's not what she wanted. Grant mm-hmm. Tinker wanted to make Mary a star as much as she wanted to be a star. So it was a match made in heaven. Yeah, indeed. By the way, I have a message from uh, Pat in Missouri, and she says, um, loving this show. Love Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, I'll be getting the book. Thank you so much. And she'll say, thank you, Pat. I Hi, Pat. Message. Thank you so much, Pat. Uh, and by the way, I got that wrong. It was a Juvenile Diabetes Foundation that she was a spokesperson for. And, uh, yeah. And she was also an advocate for animals, just like her pal and co-star Betty White. One thing I want to note, too, and this is a a sad, I love that, you know, her first love was dance and she got to dance. And if she never felt like she was 
uh, good enough to get much farther than the chorus, at least on TV, whether it's when she was playing um, when she and Rob met when he was in the Army and she would oh. entertain or dance or other things. Um, and, you know, I made I was going to say about their house parties they would have. I knew when I grew up, I wanted to have parties like that in my living room. I wanted to have parties where people came and people entertained, and I did, and I still do. Well, not right now, but I did um, because I thought that you is the way. I wanted, to, I wanted to move into that house. You know, <laughs> I loved it. It was so cozy, that, that beautiful house they had. I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, when they did the um, – Dick Van Dyke show reunion. I don't know. Did you see that, Jennifer? Oh, I can't remember it. Um, I don't remember. It was, it, it was on TV Land and CBS in like 2004 where Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore and Rose Marie and Carl Reiner, who wrote it, um, and uh, Jerry Van Dyke, who came back as Stacy, Rob's brother, they did a reunion a show, and it was a scripted show. And Richie, Larry, played by Larry Matthews, was also there, but he had inherited the house. But it was 2004, and they still had the same furniture. That was the only thing that didn't make any sense, you know, was that it was still designed in that same way. Um, and, Richie, and Richie was living there. Um, but also, it was very strange because Mary, Dick Van Dyke found his voice as Rob's, Rose Marie found her voice as, as Sally. Even Jerry found his voice as Stacy. Mary Tyler Moore could not find her voice as Laura. If you ever do have the chance to watch it, and it's on YouTube probably, maybe bits of it, uh, Mary was playing Mary Richards. She was still ah. doing Mary Richards. Now, this also, she was... Again, she had the plastic surgery, and it's like whatever we recognized and knew as Laura Petrie was gone, was gone. Um, And there was just a measure of Mary Richards left, but she was playing Mary Richards married to Rob Petrie. It was very strange, very strange. You know, um, what I want to ask you about that. Oh, Dick Van Dyke's brother. Uh, I yeah. was up to it when when he was on there, and I remember Nobody. I used to uh, my. Nobody knows how I feel. Nobody knows how I feel. That's what he used to say. Uh, yeah, I, I used I had a jazz band for a couple of decades. We played a lot, and we used to have this one regular gig at a um, at a museum of natural history on their martinis and IMAX night. And uh, sometimes my uh, keyboard player would play Bye Bye Blackbird. i say, let's do it like, you know, Jerry Van Dyke, like Stacy. You know, let's do it like that um, from Dick Van Dyke. And I'd always get behind him and try that. And I said, yeah, one day we're going to start doing that. You know, wouldn't it be funny if he'd walk in? You know, but we knew he wouldn't. But one <laughs> night he did. <gasps> usually a crowd there, um, you know, it was a big event. There was usually about twelve to 1,400 people there at a time. So wow. the people could go to the people could so go to the museum. Well, what people could go to the museum. They had food. They had uh, uh, IMAX movies going on. People could go to, and we saw him come down the spiral staircase. And then I'm going, and I started tapping the keyboard guy. I go, oh my god! How many times have I said, you know, 
and then he, uh, we looked at, you know, kind of, we thought, it can't be him. And it was, and we saw him, you know, he smiled, waved. And then I guess he went on, um, I, I, may, I guess it was his wife with him. They went, must have gone to a movie. And then I said, you know, if we get a break, let's go ask him, you know, if he wanted to perform. Because he kept wandering around. So let's go ask him if he'll get up. And then the next time we saw him, he was going back up the staircase. And I thought, oh, that was our moment. But we were always saying, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be funny? <laughs> Oh, I, he would have done it. He would have done it. He would oh, have done it. Missed that chance. Um, you know, one of the tragedies was that uh, right after she, right after Mary played to the movie Ordinary People, where in the story oh, her yeah. son was suicide, her own son, I think, his was an accidental death, I understand. Yeah, there were rumors that, you know, he committed suicide. And uh, but it was it was deemed accidental. He was playing with he collected guns, and he was playing uh, with, or he wasn't playing with. He was um, it just cleaning the guns. He was cleaning the guns, and one of them accidentally went off, and it was just horrible, just horrible. Now, ironically enough, this happened a month into or around the premiere of Ordinary People. So here she was oh. playing this character who lost a son to suicide, and you know, in real life, she lost a son to this horrible accident. It was just, just horrible. Just horrible. and you got to remember too, she had also lost a brother um, and a sister. Um, her brother, uh, she helped with with suicide. Her brother, she helped her brother to commit suicide, and she had mentioned this, um, and she had. She had acknowledged this. And then her sister died, I believe, of a drug overdose or something. And her sister was much younger than her. So she had all of that sadness with her, you know, in addition to the, the abusive uh, father or the, the strict father, the alcoholic mother, being sexually abused, uh, having diabetes, alcoholism, and all of that misery in her through the death of her, her, her child and, and siblings. It was not an easy life. And then yet, there she was with her smile. Mm-hmm. A smile like no other, you know, really. No other. Uh, no, no other. I would say without peer, you know, just individual. And it made everybody feel good. Um, Herbie, I know you've, uh, this is your, your, um, one thing I've noticed about you is that unlike a lot of people who are, I'm going to be, say, over 30, (laughs) you make the most of modern technology, social media, and which is great in a time when you can't go out on the road like you would normally on a book tour. And mm-hmm. uh, so I am so grateful you made time to come here and talk to me. And I wish you so much success with Mary the Mary Tyler Moore story and um, everything else that you do. Oh, okay. And a message from uh, uh, Jody in uh, Scottdale, Georgia. He says, thank you so much. I love Mary. I love Mary. I love Mary. Thank you for writing this book. <laughs> so, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Jody. Thank you're welcome. You know, and with regards to 
Well, first of all, the book can be purchased either through me at HerbieJPilato.com. You can get it personally signed. But quite frankly, it's a lot cheaper on Amazon right now. There's a hardcover. It's only $19.95 on Amazon. So um, there is really the, the best place to get it. Um, as far as the social media thing, you know what it is, Jen? It's like mm-hmm. I'm a writer, and as a writer and as a performer, I'm a communicator. And so I try to utilize social media and communicate with the people out and take the high road and maybe offer a little inspiration. I, I love it. I love communicating with people. But the only way I would do it is to take the high road. And so that's why I work very hard to, to be a positive voice out there today when we need it the most. And you know what? It's not like I don't swear or I don't, you know, if I stub my toe or I don't get angry. I, all of the, I do all of those things. But when I'm in, on social media, no. Because there's, first of all, there's kids that follow me, okay, all ages, and I want to set an example. And I want to send an example for the adults as well that, look it, you can speak intelligently. You don't have to swear, F this, F that. You know, if you stub your toe, okay. But that's why I'm so disappointed with modern uh, television and modern movies. They're just vulgar and violent and overly so, and it's not necessary. That has nothing to do with art. And it has nothing to do, may have to do with freedom of expression, and I'm not trying to take that away. But I will say to producers and writers and actors and whatnot who do that kind of thing, why? Why? Why do you choose to write and say those things when you can take the high road? And that's my soapbox moment. Exactamente, mi amigo. And I'm just thrilled to say um, I will be sharing sharing, – the links to get your books on all of my social media, including not just the Madame Perry Salon, um, social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but also for my own personal Jennifer Modette Perry or Perry Jen on Twitter. I will share it everywhere. Remember, this is, uh, or you can watch his show on Amazon. It streams on Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime UK. Then again with Herbie J. Pilato, where he interviews all cool people. Um, he is also, you've also served as a consulting producer and on-screen cultural commentator on shows like uh, DVD documentaries for Sony, NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, like um, including like Six Million Dollar Man box set, Kung Fu Chips. You've got, and I, I think you've got probably a CV, IMDb that's um, longer than a, a, a dictionary. They probably have to put a new website out there for it. But I just think you're wonderful, and I'm so glad you make time to do my show. Wish you success in everything. And one more thing. You know, I'm going to close out with uh, talking about positive stuff. Always close, or most of the time, with uh, a song of mine, because I know you're a songwriter. I'm not, I'm not as prolific as you. This is the only song I've written, but it's called Everybody's Got to Swing. And um, I think that's, that's kind of a good philosophy, don't you? I love it. I love it. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Herbie Pilato, will you come back to Madame Perry's salon one day, one night? I would, I would absolutely love it. I would love All right. it. Okay. okay. Thank you so much.
Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.